Jeremiah 29, 4 through 14. Where we are today, faithfulness and exile. As you're turning there, a couple of celebrations. So last Sunday, we had the three people you remember come up for baptism. One came to join our, a fourth came to join our church after the service. Three more conversations about baptism were had in the foyer or here in the sanctuary. One wants to be, is, is coming forward to be baptized, wants to make her uh, commitment to Jesus public. That's Portia Studebaker sitting right down here at the front. Y'all can clap for her, one of our youth. And I don't mean to embarrass her in this mic, but y'all, when I asked her why she wanted to be baptized, she gave the absolute best answer I've ever heard in my life. And I'm not going to get it exactly right. I'm not going to quote it exactly right. But her answer was, how can I come in here and sit and worship my Savior knowing that I haven't publicly told everybody that's who I'm following? So I want to p- follow him publicly in baptism. But y'all, that's it. That's, all I, that's baptism right there. That's what it's about. Making him your Savior and then telling the world about it. So... I'm excited about that, that we have more even in the pipeline, maybe that's not the great analogy, but whatever, that are wanting to be baptized and are, are seeking what that means and what leads up to that. Uh, the shirt that I'm wearing this morning is from Gateway Seminary, it used to be Golden Gate Seminary in San Francisco, and, and they moved a few years back, sold their property just because it was so expensive. Uh, they moved to Riverside, California, which is a, a suburb of L.A., and changed their name to Gateway Seminary instead of Golden Gate. And uh, that's one of the six seminaries that, that you support every time you give to the church, and then we forward a portion of that on to the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention. We support our six seminaries. Gold, uh, Golden Gate, listen to me. Gateway being one of them. Uh, if you remember back last August, uh, Jeff Orge came and preached. He was, he's the president of Gateway Seminary. He was our guest back then. Uh, this particular shirt, Beyond Trips, they got a grant not too long ago from somebody with a lot of money, uh, or maybe some bodies, but anyway, to send every diploma and master's student on a fully funded week-long mission trip as part of their uh, seminary education. So, and I, I was reading about it and like literally fully funded. They have to pay a course fee like you would for any course. Other than that, travel, room, board, it's all paid for because they know that students have to get out of the classroom and they have to, they need to go on mission trips. We need to get out of our comfort zone and do things in other places. In particular, these trips will help IMB missionaries. They'll go in support of IMB missionaries that are already there. Um, I believe next year, if I read right, they're taking a trip to Honduras and then two trips to Southeast Asia somewhere. Um, So uh, that's what this is about. But that's also what our trip to Tucson is about, getting out of our comfort zone, helping our, in this case, North American Mission Board church planters, very specifically Timbo and Robin Fowler, 
So if you're at all interested in that trip, come to the meeting immediately after uh, service this morning. It'll be a little, a little after immediately after because I got to go print some stuff out. I just got some information from Timbo uh, about our schedule while we're there. So I've got to put that in and then print it out. We'll meet in B101 right out here in the foyer unless we're, there are too many for that. And then we'll just meet here in the sanctuary. Uh, if we need to. So come to that, even if you like, I don't know if I'm going to go, come anyway, learn about it, and then that might be what tips you over the edge to, to, to go. So we'll talk about that more in a little bit. Our memory verse this week, this quarter, but did you take any more blanks out or were you nice to us? Just a couple, but I'm still going to have to use my, my cheat sheet. All right, let's see what we can do. The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes, and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. I'm going to work on that this week. I'm, going to, I'm not going to use my cheat sheet next Sunday. I almost promise. Faithfulness in exile. For our series, Fruitfulness in Drought. Uh, as we were talking as a staff about this week's readings, this week's message, the Connect Group lesson, this week is probably the linchpin, the, the hinge, maybe the high point, however you want to put it, of the series. The, this, I could have just named this, titled this sermon, the series title, Fruitfulness in Drought. But it's a little more specific than that. This is, this is how we are fruitful in our drought if we are faithful in our exile. Just to catch us up with where we are with Israel, uh, they, they picked a fight with Babylon, and that was stupid. Weren't going to win that one. God told them they weren't going to win that one. As a matter of fact, he told them, don't pick the fight. So Jeremiah writes this letter, or these letters. There, there are some four different letters referenced in this chapter, chapter 29. Uh, he writes this letter. Everything, by the way, up to chapter 27, 28 has been, what's a good word? Horrid, doom and gloom. Don't pray to the Lord. He's not going to rescue you. It's over. It's done. Kaput. And now he gets to hope. There's always hope. There's always, with the prophets, there's always hope. It's never so bad. This could be the whole sermon. It's never so bad that there isn't hope, that there isn't promise. There isn't the possibility of repentance and return. Even Jeremiah, even the weeping prophet, even the prophet with no converts, no one convinced that he was right until about 586, 587 B.C. There's hope. And that's... That's what's happening here. So there's been a war. Babylon has come in. They've defeated Israel, Judah, the southern kingdom, but we still refer to the people as Israel, even though that was the northern kingdom that hasn't existed for about 125 years at this point. 
So they had this war with Babylon, and then in 597 B.C., there was the first deportation. And Jeremiah tells us about that in verses 1 through 4. It tells us who all uh, left or were taken out of Jerusalem. Um, it was when uh, King Jehoiachin or Jeconiah, depending on your translation, same person, the queen mother, the court officials, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the middlesmiths ha had all been taken away. Um, and he writes this letter to the elders that are left. So either the ones who didn't get killed in the battle, uh, battles, or the ones who had not been executed when they got to Babylon, because that, that was a thing too. You had to play nice or you didn't get to play at all. He writes this letter after that, after 597, but before 587 or 586, depending on the exact math, when Jerusalem fell for the last time. Finally fell, Babylon destroyed it, and the, the, the country of Judah no longer existed. So he writes these, this, this letter between these two events, probably fairly soon after 597, writes it to a group of people a thousand miles away. Now, you know how sometimes, occasionally, our postal system might not be perfect in getting something to Baton Rouge from here. And here, a long time ago, 2,600 years ago, they're writing letters to a kingdom a thousand miles away. Well, it's kind of a have to. Jeremiah sends this letter with some officials who were very likely taking uh, um, uh, government correspondence from the vassal state of Judah to their new king in Babylon and probably some tribute money too. Writes this letter to the exiles. Those of you who are left, who are living in a place that you did not want to live and thought you weren't going to have to go to because you listened to the wrong people. But he doesn't just write to them. The Bible is for us today. We do not omit the Old Testament and say, well, we're a New Testament people. No, we, the whole thing is God's Word. This letter is to us as well. It's to them first, but it has a message for us. That message, primarily, is that we aren't of this world, or this country, or this state, or this city, or this neighborhood, or this culture. We, the church, right now, today, at this moment, and have been for 2,000 years, are in exile. When Jesus prayed for the disciples and for us in John 17, in verse 16, he said, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This world is not my home. We just sang it a little while ago. 1 Peter 2.11, Dear friends, I urge you as what? Strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Strangers and exiles. Strangers and exiles where? In the world. Hebrews 11.13, writing of the hall of the, those uh, uh, people in the hall of faith. Chapter 11, all the people that had done great things for the Lord. He said, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners 
and temporary residence on the earth. Not in their home necessarily, not just in their home, not just in their country. And he's talking about Abraham and Isaac and Samson and, 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 and these, these pillars of the faith. Some of them we even kind of wonder about, what, Samson? Did you read? That's not today's sermon. Foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Philippians 3.20, maybe the, the boldest of the statements. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are exiles just as certainly as Israel was in Babylon. So, therefore, Jeremiah has a message for the church today. He had a message for the exiles then and a message today of faithfulness in exile and fruitfulness in drought. Our big idea this morning, as citizens of another kingdom... Exiled in a fallen world, followers of Jesus are to be a blessing of peace and prayer to those we live among. There's a lot missing from that big idea and from this passage of Scripture and from every subsequent passage of Scripture in New Testament that talks about us living as exiles there's a lot missing from those passages of Scripture that we as a church think we are supposed to be about. But Scripture never gives us that call or command. But this morning, we're looking at Jeremiah 29, 4-14. Read it with me. This is what the Lord of armies... The God of Israel says to all the exiles, I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. And don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. For this is what the Lord says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, this is the Lord's declaration, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a hope and a future. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. This is a wonderful opportunity for me to preach a verse out of context. I joked with Etta at the beginning of the week. I said, I don't have to prepare my sermon really that much this week. I'll just preach on Jeremiah 29, 11. Whatever you're going through, 
God has a plan and a purpose for you, a plan to, to prosper you. So don't worry about the, well, we're going to look at the context. God does have a plan. And the plan is for your good. But there is a lot more in this passage than just that. And that is not the point of the passage. The point is not the plan. The point is the purpose. The point is the responsibility. What is that responsibility? God gave the exiles in Babylon four responsibilities. We could break it down into a lot more. We could probably do it fewer. We're going with four this morning. Number one, verses five and six, build a life. Build a life. He says, you're, you're there now. You're, you're in Babylon. You exile. Some 3,100, 3,200 at this moment exiles. There would be, like I said, a couple more deportations. One of those deportations, those subsequent deportations, would include uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they would be going at some point as well. They didn't go with the first deportation, if I remember correctly. It's going to happen, and then, then Jerusalem's going to be destroyed about 10 years from now. So there's not going to be anything really to come back to. And Jeremiah says... You're going to be here a while. Now, we, we know that, that for years, as for hundreds of years, really for a couple of thousand years, groups have, have predicted that the end of the world, the, the coming of Jesus if they were Christians, or just the end of the world if they weren't. A couple of years ago, it was the Mayan calendar stopped at a certain date, like two years ago. And guess what? We didn't. They, they got it wrong. Even Paul was having to write letters. Uh, one of the letters to the Thessalonians, I believe 2 Thessalonians, was, y'all, I know you thought Jesus was going to come back before any believers died. That was throwing them into a tizzy. Like, wait a minute. Uh, how's this going to work? They're already dead. How is Jesus going to... He said he was coming back, and we've got people dying. And then Paul's like, y'all... It's okay. They'll, they'll be raised. Whoever's alive will go. Jesus is coming back when he wants to. But these, these predictions, these false predictions of when Jesus was going to come back or the end was coming have led to repercussions from selling everything they owned. Uh, there was a group called the Millerites in the 1840s that, that were determined. They had figured out when Jesus was coming back, they became eventually Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, it, the, when Jesus didn't come back like, they, like Mr. Miller said they were going to, they divided into, into how they were going to interpret the word. Anyway, um, a lot of people were really upset because they had sold everything in preparation for Jesus coming back, and then he didn't. Well, you know what the Bible doesn't say? Sell everything in preparation for Jesus coming back when you think you figured out the date. Um, all the way up to, from selling everything, all the way up to taking their own lives. Just a few years back, we had, uh, I can't remember his first name, his last name was Applewhite, and not the quarterback for the University of Texas football team, not major <laughs> Applewhite, it was a different Applewhite, who, who had the Heaven's Gate cult. And you remember they wore the navy blue jumpsuits and the navy blue uh, brand new tennis shoes. That's all the pictures we saw was the tennis shoes of them laying in the bunk beds when they all killed themselves because Jesus was coming back behind the Hale-Bopp comet. 
don't believe the false diviners. We're going to get there. We don't see any commands like that in Scripture. No sell your stuff, no kill yourself, nothing like that. And as a matter of fact, right now, many of you, if I asked you, would say, we're in the end times. And you know what? I would agree with you because we've been in the end times since Jesus ascended. He said, watch for me, I'm coming back. We're in the end times and nothing of that, uh, that has not changed. But the signs of the end times are no greater today than they were 2,000 years ago. So, Jeremiah says, don't, don't worry about the end. You're there. Build houses, plant crops, have kids, give them in marriage. They'll have kids, give them in marriage. These actions, these commands will take a long time to flesh out. You don't have kids immediately, and they have kids immediately. I think most of us know that. We're talking about years. The, the planting crops and vineyards, those take years, especially vineyards take years. He's, Jeremiah is telling them, this might not be where you want to be, but it's where you are. Live there. Live there to the glory of God. We're never comfortable on this earth. Believers should never be comfortable here. Paul says our bodies long to be in heaven and clothed with the incorruptible. That's what the aches and pains are. Somewhere along the way this past week, I hurt my back again. My back hadn't hurt for a year and a half or so. I don't know what I did. I don't remember doing anything. I probably got up wrong out of the bed. That's my body wishing it could go to heaven. Clothing it with incorruptible instead of this corruptible. And Jeremiah tells them, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, find, the wives for your, find wives for yourselves, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give them away, multiply there, and do not decrease. Notice what's missing. Always dangerous to preach what isn't said. But I think it is telling what they aren't told. Never are they told to fight their captors. As a matter of fact, if we go back, Jer Jeremiah has told them over and over, don't fight your captors, give in. You're not going to do any good. You're just going to get a lot of people killed if you fight them. They ignored him and they got a lot of people killed. And now they are not uh, to fight their captors, not try to get out, not try to leave. God is commanding his people and, and commanding them based, uh, commanding how are, now let me say this in a different way. God's commands for how his people react to where they are are progressing. He had progressive revelation. There, he had a purpose for telling Israel and Judah to fight against the people when they were coming into the promised land. There was a reason for that. And while there, they were told to defeat this group and that group and fight against the Assyrians, and I will give you victory, and on and on and on. And now he has come to a point, people have come to a point, Israel has come to a point, where God is saying, okay, but that's not the command anymore. A new command I give you. 
And it's going to be clear why as Jeremiah goes on and tells them about the law that he will write on their hearts. Jesus. It's clear now because they are in a different country. They are in a different place. And they are supposed to affect that new place positively. All right, things are different now. And I've got it. I know. I know the plans, Israel. So you need to respond differently. And here's how you respond. These commands that he gives them will improve the community they live in. They will make Babylon better. We don't want Babylon to be better. We want to go home from Babylon. He says, no, no. Improve the city. Number two, make things better. In verse 7, just, just the things that they were doing, planting and, and, and harvesting and, and populating, and they were going to have to have jobs, and they were going to probably work for, for Babylonians. And they obviously had a lot of freedom. Babylonians would work for them. They weren't slaves. They were in exile. And there's a difference. They were, and we are, residents, but not citizens. They lived there, but they weren't a part of that community. They were supposed to integrate into the community, but they still were never a part of the community. We should have full participation as believers. They should have full participation in the community. But, verse 7, pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Do things that improve that place. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. Now, when we talk about living in exile, talking about living in the city, a foreign country, a place that isn't our home, we are not talking about compromising our biblical standards. As a matter of fact, the prayer, pray to the Lord on its behalf, y'all, one more time, what's not here? The first thing he tells them to do is not to pray to the Lord on their own behalf. That's coming. But first, they're to pray to the Lord on the behalf of the city, on behalf of the city. It's that missionary focus. It's that idea that the world who needs Jesus is more important than we who have him already. It's what Israel was supposed to be all these years, always supposed to be a missionary society, a missionary kingdom, taking the worship of Yahweh to the nations instead of huddling inside their walls and doing spitballs at everybody else because they didn't worship the right God and believe the way they believed. Ha ha, we got him, you don't. Now, they're out of their comfort zones. Now, they don't have an option. Pray to the Lord for the city. Pray. Continue to worship me. Continue to follow me. It's the same thing that the church in Jerusalem was told to do and didn't in Acts chapter 5 and 6 until the Lord scattered them and sent them in various places after uh, the persecution started, after the stoning of Stephen. That got them out of their comfort zones, and then we see churches popping up all around the area. Now's your chance. Now's your opportunity. We have Babylon right where I want you. 
is what he's telling them. No better place for you to be to affect the good of a city. Not called to get up, give up your faith. In fact, prayer in this situation is the most subversive thing that they can do in godless, capital G, godless exile. They didn't worship God. They didn't have the temple anymore to go and worship in. And God says, pray to me. That is the strongest thing they could do because God rules and God will rule over godlessness. You want to change your city, your state, your country, your world, your neighborhood, your community, your culture? Pray for it. Because you know who loves the people around you a lot more than you do? God. God loves the people you don't like. God loves the people you hate. God loves your enemies. So Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the godless, this Babylonian pagan culture, this, these people that just killed a lot of your friends and family. Pray for them. Romans, Proverbs, and many other places tells us that God installs all leaders. Well, we know that's the case. God has intentionally removed any Davidic king from Judah and has placed over them a foreign king, Nebuchadnezzar. That's for right now. Oh, but David's coming back. But it's going to be a better David when he comes. Jesus said, pray for your enemies regardless of the lack of a temple. Pray to me. Pray for them. Pray for their welfare because when the city you live in, and let me say here, city just means where you live. Specifically, yes, city, but they may not have lived in Babylon. Babylon was a city. Babylon was a nation. Babylon was really even an idea. Babylon was a kingdom. So that word, when he says city, it's just where you are. Pray for where you are because when where you are thrives, you thrive. You will be better. It goes against what we think, but that's the way it is. God is with us in our world, country, state, city, neighborhood, community, culture, regardless of a lack of godly leadership. That would be great, but that does not matter. What matters is that his people make things better where they are. Number three, when you're in exile and you want to be faithful, listen carefully. Verses 8 and 9, For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says, Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams they elic you elicit from them, for they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. The years proved Jeremiah correct. All the things that he had told them came true beginning in 597 and finally and permanently in 587. Jeremiah was right. All these other guys were wrong. There were also guys telling them, hey, you're only going to be here for a couple of years. Like, pitch a tent while you're in Babylon. That's all you need to do. Um, just get an ice chest for your stuff. 
uh, like a picnic basket. Don't buy appliances. Don't, don't settle in. Don't build. You, we are going to be out of here uh, uh, in no time. And Jeremiah says, nope. Settle in for the long haul. Don't listen to the ones who are going to tell you lies. Don't listen to the ones who will twist things to get a good response from you. Scripture today, not years, is our proof. Jeremiah had the years that passed to prove him right. We don't need years. We have Scripture. There are political and economic and sociological prophets out there that are telling us what should be done, what is coming, what we need to do. And there are preachers and teachers that join them at the hip for whatever reason, for whatever side. It doesn't matter if you're right or left. There are political, economic, and sociological prophets that are out there telling lies. And preachers and teachers will say, yes, I'm with these guys. Or, yes, I'm with these guys. And they are selling a product that they need you to buy. That's all it about. it's about. It's called a grift. They are wanting you to buy their, profit, or buy their, their product. It might be a book. The title of it might be The Late Great Planet Earth. Who remembers that? Over half of y'all are old enough to know what I'm talking about. Uh huh. Hal Lindsey, about 1984-ish, Jesus was supposed to come back. How's that working out for us? Didn't happen. You know why he wrote the book? He saw the signs. Russia doing this. As a matter of fact, the Millerites... 1840s, they went back to the French Revolution. For them, that was the big turning point in 1789. Well, that proved that this many days and this many years and this number means that number and this, when it says this, it means that and that's France and woohoo, we're going home in 1844. Hal Lindsey did the same thing. This means that, and Gorbachev's the Antichrist, and, and Russia's this, and the Berlin Wall is this, and all these other things. And so 1984, we're going, what's the deal with ending in four? Hmm. It might be that they're selling a book. It might just be their own power. It might be that they don't care about the truth at all. They just want you to follow them. They want to be the next Jim Jones. They want to be the next Heaven's Gate Apple White. They want to be whoever. They want to be Joseph Smith with the Mormons. They want to be Miller, somebody. They, they just want people to follow them. That's what really matters. But their messages to prepare because the end is specified are wrong. We don't prepare because the end is specified. Their messages, some of them, to take up arms and fight to bring the end or are wrong. Some want to fight to stop the end. We, we can't have a cashless society because that will bring the Antichrist, we're told. And yet, the Bible says the Antichrist is coming no matter what. So, the quicker he comes, the quicker we go home. So, I would think believers would like... Cashless society, yes, I won't do it because that's a mark of a beast or whatever, but, but I'm still, I want it because Jesus is coming back quicker. It's confusing, I know. The messages to acquiesce to and meld with the culture to ease the end are wrong. They're just selling stuff. 
We are here until God says so. We are to believe, Jesus said, we're to believe like the end is today. Like today's it. We are to believe, trust, have faith, put our faith in Jesus Christ because the end could be today. We are to plan like the end is tomorrow. I have set my life according to God's standards following Christ because Jesus could come back tomorrow. I'm going to do everything I'm supposed to, to witness, to tell people. But we're supposed to live like the end is 70 years from now or 700 or 7,000 because we don't know. That's what Scripture tells us to do. And with that comes our last job. Number four, remember your job. Verses 10 through 14. When the years are over for Babylon, 70 years, he says, and it was almost exactly 70 years. It's a kind of a general number that he uses, but it was from the time of the fall of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, 604 B.C., to the fall of, uh, of Babylon, which was 539, I think, or 533, something along in there, almost exactly 70 years. When that's all said and done... I'll be there. I will attend to you. I, I, I will be there to, to do the things that I have planned to do all along. Confirm my promise concerning you. Restore you to this place. I know what I have planned. God says, guys, I know what I'm doing. I know you're in exile. I know what I'm doing. I've got to purify you. You realize when they came out of Babylon, it, when Israel came out of Babylon, they had zero, as far as we have recorded in Scripture, zero to do with false gods anymore. No more Baal worship. No more syncretism where they brought in the religions of, of the uh, surrounding areas. God has been telling them for a few hundred years, stop mixing your gods. Stop mixing your religion. Worship only me. And they said, sure, God. Thanks, Baal. Whatever, Moloch. Let's just all be a good big family. Babylon cured them of that business. They came out. They were all one God now. Nope, nothing else. So much so that when Jesus came saying... By the way, y'all, so glad you're monotheistic now. You finally, you finally got it. By the way, I'm God. No, not two of us, one of us. We're, the, we're one and the same, but we just, it's complicated. That they were like, nope, nope, we, look, we've done the exile thing. We did the whole, uh, we're, we're not doing multiple gods. They missed it, they misunderstood but we can kind of understand why. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's commanded. He knows that he's told them to build buildings and, and homes and vineyards and, and, and build children and build wives and, or whatever. Because he knows he's told them to pray for the welfare of the city. He knows prayer is subversive because he knows he is going to break Babylon. He is going to break our world with his wrath. It's coming. He knows what the plan is. So our job, our responsibility is to pray, ask, seek, 
search, find. Verse 12, call to me and come, pray to me, I will listen. Seek me, you'll find me, search for me, I will be found by you. He knows what our job is. He will be found, wonderfully uh, constructed sentence. He will be found. Not you will find, but he will be found. It's the kid who plays hide-and-seek that prefers to be found than, than to not. You know, I'm going I'm to hide really uh, uh, conspicuously. Like, okay, here I am. God's not hiding. God has never hidden from his people. God's not hiding from you right now. God is not hiding from us in exile right now. He is willing, waiting, wanting to be found, and he will be found, his doing, his timing, when the people are obedient and look for him. Oh, there you are, God. Well, I never left. You just weren't looking for me. But way back at the beginning... 70 years from now, I'll show up and I'll do, I'll do the stuff I've promised, the plans I have. But back at the beginning, pray to me then. See, he was never, he wasn't absent those 70 years. He didn't just suddenly showed up after they prayed for those 70 years. He was always there. We find him when we pray. Same, just the same as they do. Oh, there you are. I never left. But we also, if we will just look, we find him in his word. If you will pray and seek and search, you will find me, he says. And what we find is our call as a church in exile, in a place we don't belong. We find in his word that we're, we're to be making disciples as if he's coming back tomorrow. Discipling, that's our only job. That was their job in Jeremiah. And it's our job in the New Testament. Nothing else. Not, not politics. Not kingdom building. We get so worried and we're entering the silly season of politics. I don't think it ever ends anymore. But we get so worried about who the president is that we forget who the king is. Vote. Be involved. Be informed. Great. But grand scheme does not matter. Because the king is still in control. The king is still on his throne. And he is coming back. And judgment is coming with him. He is bringing judgment when he comes. And we don't know when that is. Tomorrow, 70 years or 7,000, doesn't matter. It's coming. And he is not judging political parties. He's judging people's hearts. Yours, mine, and our loved ones that do or don't know Jesus. The only animal your salvation depends on is the lamb. Not an elephant and not a donkey. So if we're going to have fruitfulness in drought, it requires faithfulness in exile. So we, we do these things that he's told us. We build a life. We make things better. We listen carefully to his word and his prophets who teach it. We remember our job, and our job is to tell people about Jesus and how he frees from sin and changes lives and eternities. If somebody had told you September 10th, 2001, 
hey, you're going to get to talk to everybody in the World Trade Centers about Jesus. Today, September 10th, 2001. And you knew, they told you, by the way, tomorrow, planes are going to, a plane is going to hit each of the towers, and 3,000 or so people are going to die, but you don't know which ones. And you can't tell them that's what's going to happen. You know it, but you can't tell them. 50, 60,000 people on any given day could have been in those buildings. What's your message going to be? You're going to lead with Jeremiah 29, 11? God has a plan to prosper you, give you a hope and a future. Is that, is that, it's not wrong. That passage is not wrong. As a matter of fact, that passage is accurate even in that situation. Those people that died in Christ had prosperous and hopeful futures. Just not this side of heaven after that day. But it wouldn't mean much to those who were literally staring eternity in the face some 24 hours later. No, you would tell them at any point, wink, wink, at any point you could meet Jesus and he will judge you. And if you have not trusted him for your salvation, for your forgiveness of sins, you will spend an eternity apart from him. Don't say we will eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you may die because tomorrow your soul could be required of you. We believe and plan because we know he could like Jesus could come back any moment. So we tell the whole truth, not a partial truth. Jeremiah 29, 11 is comforting, but it's not an evangelism passage. It's not what we lead with. Yes, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Yes, he has plans for us, a future and a hope, plans to prosper. Yes, those are all true. But the ultimate truth is that I am a sinner bound for hell apart from Jesus. That is the biggest problem in the world. Not hopelessness, because life stinks. And you know how we can be a blessing to our community? Sure, food pantries and clothing pantries and standing up for injustices and fighting for the unborn and all those things, yes. But do you know how we must bless our communities until Jesus comes? Tell them the truth about their sin and how it separates from God. And yes, today, tomorrow, your soul may be required of you. We, as believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, as citizens of another kingdom in a fallen world, 
We are to be a blessing of peace and prayer to those we live among. You know what? Sorry, my back hurt. You know what the ultimate peace is? Knowing that no matter what tomorrow holds, my hope, my future, my prosperity is eternally held in the crucified hand of Jesus. Not that I might win the lottery tomorrow. That's our job. That's how we can bless our community. That's how you can be blessed today. Jesus can change your life and your eternity today. If you will understand just a couple of things, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wages of sin is death. You're going to pay for it because you're a sinner, and that is separation from God. Not physical death, eternal death. Not dying, not feeling, but separation and torment and agony from God. There's a gift. There's a way that you can have a relationship with him so that if Jesus comes back tomorrow or this afternoon, you hear Enter into your rest. I just came to you, Jesus. Well, thief on the cross did too. I said you could come. Don't worry about it. But that's where you find eternal life. That's where you find satisfaction of your judgment and your promise of not experiencing in yourself in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Will you do that today? Church, followers of Jesus, will you live in such a way that you are a blessing of peace and prayer to the community. A place that they find hope and refuge and comfort. Comfort in their discomfort. Nobody likes to be told you're a sinner and God is going to judge you for that. And yet, that's the truth. It's the whole truth. And we need to share that truth. You have a next step to take today. Maybe your next step is to take up your cross, leave your life, and follow him. For some of you, as believers, that means taking up the cross of telling people, being faithful to share about Jesus. The true judgment that's coming. Not political whatevers or an economic collapse. Those are at best uncomfortable, but are nothing in the grand scheme of eternity. Fleeting 70 plus years that we live in exile. And then we have eternity. Eternity is what matters. Maybe you need to be baptized, sub submit to God, submit yourself to God, uh, conform your life to Him. Maybe you need to join the church, be a part of this fellowship be a part of the leadership and the direction of our church. That's what joining does. Gives you skin in the game is the phrase that I've been using. Share your decision with us. You can share it on a connection card. You can come forward and pray. I'll be over here to my right. Chelsea will be to my left. We'll have a couple of deacons in the back. Lee and Kirk is how they usually stand. And Justin, the youth minister, will be in the middle. We've got a job. And that job is to bring peace and prayer to our community. Is that what you're doing?
Are you bringing peace and prayer to your faith community? Today's your day to say, Lord, that's what I want to be. Here in exile, that's what I want to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you sent us a letter 2,000 years ago through your exiles in Babylon to tell us that we have a job to bring the blessing of peace and prayer right here to where we live. And you wrote that to the Christians living in London. You wrote that to the Christians living in Beijing. And you wrote that to the Christians living in South Sudan. You wrote that to the Christians living in Vietnam, to Christians living in Argentina. To every Christian, we are called to be a blessing of prayer and peace where we live. And in some places, that is harder than others. It's certainly much harder in uh, most places than it is right here where we have so many freedoms. And yet, that is our job. So, Lord, we pray that we would be those bearers of peace, of prayer. We would share Jesus as if people's eternities depended on it, because they do. As if their eternities depended on their decision today, which they certainly might. God, may we be faithful in exile so we can see fruit in our drought. We ask for your hand, your strength, your wisdom, your power, and your push to do those very things. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's stand and sing. Singing about making room. This is going to be our theme now for a few weeks. Come forward if you'd like me or someone else to pray with you, if you'd like to make a decision public, or if you'd just like to come here and pray this, evening, this morning to give something to the Lord. You do that as he works on your heart.